The following message was given by Mark Beckton on Sunday, December 18th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. This will conclude our series of messages on the four things of Advent. Three weeks ago, Robert did a masterful job looking at the love of God through Christ. Then Tim took us through Isaiah chapter 9, looking at the joy we have because of Christ. Now last Sunday, I directed our attention to Ephesians chapter 2, to understand the hope we have in Christ. And today we're going to stay in Ephesians chapter 2, because it also talks about the peace that we have in Christ. So for those of you who were here last week, this is kind of taking us back into it for those of you who are new you may be visiting with family or just purely a guest um, my name is mark beckton and i have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at redemption hill and have the joy of opening scripture with you today so um, before i do i just want to pray one more time father i thank you for the way that demetrius interceded to you for us Father, I know that he has covered it. Lord Jesus, I know that you intercede for us when we don't know what to pray. And you have covered this moment. But as a dependent child, I still ask, fill me with your spirit for your glory's sake. Father, I pray that you guard me, keep me, from misrepresenting you or misleading those who have gathered here. Your word is truth and in the world of lies we need to hear what is real, what is true. So I ask please for every follower that is gathered here, fill him, fill her with your spirit that you may open our understanding to Scripture. Father, you who are so personal know the context with which each of us are living now, the season we are in, the, the joys, the highs, the fears, the lows. And as only you can do, I ask, Father, take your word by your Spirit and love us by applying it to the context in which each of us live. And Father, for this gathered place, I pray, Lord, that you would even fill the place with your spirit. Not only for the, the delight of the followers, but also, Lord, for the awe of those that I pray in time you will open their understanding to Scripture, that you would open their eyes to your holiness, sin, grace, the beauty of salvation. We rest and trust you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now last Sunday we looked at Ephesians chapter 2. Our focus was verses 1 through 4 and verses 11 through 14. We will look at verses 13 through 22 today. So I want us to start with verses 13 through 16. But look what scripture says. I love its opening, but now in Christ. 
Just those two words, but now, lets you know there's been a lot that's already been said. But it continues, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In December of uh, 1983, Lori and I were married. So in December of 2003, we decided to give ourselves an anniversary present and flew to New York City. Both of us growing up in uh, Oklahoma and Texas, we had never been to New York City and seeing its decorations and to all the sights and sounds, we were like children seeing our first Christmas. And we compressed so much in our four days and three nights. Uh, one day when we were taking a subway to a place that we wanted to see, uh, we came out of the subway, emerged the steps, and stepped into the streets and found ourselves moving right into the intensity of Christmas vendors on the street. And that's the best term I could find was intensity. And in one moment, I felt like I was a fish in a school of fish just moving with the current. And then when Lori found something she wanted, I felt like now we were the salmon swimming upstream. And in one of those moments behind me, there was a, I guess, a fellow salmon who just kind of whispered something in my ear. I simply heard, do you want to buy a Rolex? <laughs> now I knew that was awkward. I didn't acknowledge it. Told Lori about it. Then we kind of looked around and noticed that there were some secretive nods going back and forth to individuals. At that point, we looked at each other and said, let's get out of here. <laughs> so in the next few days, we were on our flight back to Richmond, somewhere 20, 30,000 feet. Lori was reading the newspaper provided by the hotel. And I heard her gasp. She handed the paper to me and pointed to a headline. And I read in the article that there was a sting in that area of New York City on a group selling knockoff Rolexes. I read that and told Lori, if I had bought one of those, I would have started a new jail ministry in New York City <laughs> as one of their own. Um, the thing I want you to hear is the value of knockoffs. Knockoffs. I read this. It's an article from 2019 that said that $4.5 trillion spent every year on knockoffs. Not the real thing. Just something like the real thing. And it's, it's in merchandise. It's in pharmaceuticals. It's entertainment. It's just something we need to have now. It's something that we want to have quick. It's something that doesn't have to have the legitimate name. It's just something we feel we need to have. And we've been talking for four Sundays about these beautiful gifts of God. His love. His joy. His hope. His peace. It is surprising how quickly we will go after the knockoffs. 
things that are not agape, the love of God, but they are a, a love. Things that are not the joy of God, they're just a, a quick happiness that helps us get beyond the sadness of the moment. A, a, an aspiration of hope that's more of a wish than a grounded, anchored security in Christ. Or maybe just a, a quick connection, a quick peace in some way to distract us from the heaviness of the moment. Instead of settling for what is true, what is real, the love, joy, hope, and peace that is solely in Christ. Uh, last week, I shared through Ephesians chapter 2 how this is so natural for us as individuals. Because chapter 2 basically says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You remember that? We call, we call that being the walking dead. We're still alive. We're still walking. But we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And, and even though in Christ we, we have the hope that is ours in Christ. That he has delivered us from death unto life. For some reasons we still have those appetites. Those old tastes for the quick fixes. Instead of hanging on to the sweet reality of what is true and real in Christ, which would be our peace. Last week we looked at Christ in Hebrews chapter 6 as being our anchor of hope. Those storms may come, those seasons come and go, though we feel it will never end. And though we feel sometimes we're untethered from Christ, that is not true. In Christ, through salvation, He is our anchor of hope. So today, I want us to look at what it means to see in Christ that there is peace. But to do this, this is our, our journey for the morning. We first have to start with getting a biblical understanding of peace. We want to take our time to look at what does Scripture say that peace truly is. And also understand what peace is not. But then once we've done that, we need to look and to savor the peace we have. Look at the provider of peace. Who provides this peace to us? And then once we have worshipped at looking at who provides us the peace, then we go to the awe of what that peace means. I want us to see the benefits of the peace that's been given to us in Christ. So that we get to the hinge verse of chapter 2. Now chapter 2 in Ephesians has 22 verses. When you get to chapter uh, 2, verse 11, right there in the middle, that's where you get this therefore remember. It's as if it's the hinge of everything. And just as last week we had to therefore remember the hope that we have in Christ, today I want us to finally wrap up with therefore remember the peace that has been secured to us because of Christ. All right, so that is our game plan for the morning. Let's get started. Let's first look at a biblical understanding of peace. In a, a word search... On uh, specifically the English Standard Version translation, there uh, are 366 occurrences of the word peace in the Old and New Testament. 273 in the Old, 93 in the New. 366, which means we have a, can have a daily reminder of peace for each day of the year, including a leap year. We should be able to be reminded of our peace, but we need to be reminded of what that peace is. Is. So let's look how the words are used in the Old Testament and the New Testament regarding peace. Now in the Old Testament, for some of you it's a familiar word, uh, the predominant word for peace is shalom. Now 
For me, I looked at an article wanting just to put my head around Shalom. And, and honestly, uh, you can easily go down a beautiful rabbit hole. Just looking at how shalom, how peace is used in the Old Testament. And it will lead you into worship. But we didn't have all of that time today. So I'm just going to, to give you the overview. Simple, beautiful picture is that shalom talks about our wholeness. Our well-being. That is in God alone. Hmm. You might remember Gideon. The Old Testament in the book of Judges chapter 6. And God is wanting to use him and Gideon doesn't see himself as usable by God. But in the encounter with God and what God has revealed to him. There comes a moment in chapter 6 verse 23. He builds an altar to God and calls that place Yahweh Shalom. Now Yahweh means I am. The beautiful relational aspect of God. And shalom, peace, which means Gideon could have easily said in this place, I have come to understand the peace of the great I am. Now that is in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you kind of a, a, a setup for something we'll look at later. The, the holder, the, the warehouse, if you would, uh, the supplier and provider, the only one who has it, the only one who gives out this peace, Old and New Testament, is the Trinity. The Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when we get into the New Testament, we begin to see how the word peace is used. In the Old Testament, it gives you what you should expect to have wholeness with God. In the New Testament, it's how it takes place. It's a Greek word, irene, which means to join together. Which is a perfect picture of what we saw in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. You have your Bible at chapter 2. Simply look at verse 12 and, and what it describes in the separation which creates unrest, tribulation, no peace. It tells that while we were among the walking dead, we were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers uh, to the covenants of promise, the, the promises of God to salvation. We were outside these until Christ came and joined us with God, finally making us whole in the peace and the well-being that we were to experience with God as he purposed for his followers before the foundation of the world. And the thing that we see in, in this is that it is provided to us only by Christ. In the whole of this chapter, chapter 2, five times in verse 6, 7, 13, 21, and 22, it says, this only happens in Christ. He is our peace. So Christ joins us with the Father, gives us the wholeness that we were to have with Him. Thus we experience that peace. That's what biblical peace is. Wholeness, well-being with the Father. Let me just go into what it is not. Because oftentimes we quickly go there. For me, I've been just doing some thinking and some working on two terms. First it was contentment. And now it is peace. And as I looked at contentment and peace, I kept trying to embody that and realize that I don't seem as a follower to ever be in a complete state of either one. I'm there for a little bit and then I'm not. I'm there for a while and then I'm not again. And I began to 
really attack myself over that until I, I realized what I was hoping to become in my spiritual life was Mr. Spock. If you are a Trekkie, you understand if you're not, Mr. Spock is of an alien species that basically puts emotions to the side. Regardless of what he goes through, even his home planet is destroyed, he simply stays calm, at least on the outside. And that I can appreciate, because you and I many times are like the ducks in the pond. We look to everybody else like we are calm on the outside, but underneath we're just doing this. And for me, I wanted to be Mr. Spock in all situations. I could be content. I could be at peace. That's what we should be doing. Until I realized the one who's our true example of biblical peace is Christ. God among us. And I, I realized that and I began to look at his life in the Gospels. Let me just give you some moments where it didn't seem like he was emotionally peaceful. In John chapter 11, verses 32 through 35, Jesus weeps with those who grieve outside his friend Lazarus's tomb. In Matthew chapter 21, he's angry, driving out the money changers from the temple. Matthew 23, he's angry with the self-righteous teachers. He repeatedly calls them scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs, you snakes and brood of vipers. Then in Luke chapter 22, Jesus anguishes in prayer the night before he's crucified. Some of you are familiar. Such anguish in prayer that he sweats in his prayer and blood begins to mingle with his perspiration. He's conflicted over God's will for him. This cup, I'd rather not, but not my will, but thine be done. So, seeing these emotions in Jesus, I realize the following. Expecting to respond to life emotionless is not biblical peace. Being one with God because of Jesus doesn't mean we will not grieve, get angry, even be conflicted, disappointed, or wounded in life. Having biblical peace does mean, however, we bring to the reality of our oneness in Jesus, our wholeness with God because of Him, we bring that to the moment. Sometimes we forget how significant that is. That's why God helps us with that fresh reminder in verses 13 through 16 of who has provided us with this peace. So now we're back to chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Let's look at who provides the peace. Here's what scripture says. Again, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Again, but now in Christ, has we put in the context of verse 12, when you were once separated from Christ, strangers and... Uh, to the covenants of promise and without hope in this world. We find in verse 14. 
that finally in Christ, he himself is our peace because he is the one who has enabled us to finally be joined with God. No peace without God. Wholeness and peace in God. It's Christ who did this. And the the passage says uh, specifically that he does this in the flesh in verse, uh, and so we brought near to God by the blood of Christ. In verse 14, he does this in the flesh. So let's talk about the, the blood of Christ and how he did this. Last week, we talked about Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where it talked about the exchange. For the wages of sin is death, a New Testament word meaning to exchange. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Remember this. They had life with God. Chapter 3 of Genesis, they could walk and talk with God in Eden. But they made the exchange of that life with God through sin to a life without God. And now you have in Christ who's going to then create another exchange. That in Christ, He will take on our death and then give us back His life that we might once again be whole with God. And He does this in the flesh. Why is the flesh of Christ so important? It's explained in Leviticus chapter 17 verse 14. It says, for the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. So if the wages of sin is death, the creature has to have blood to have life to have death. And so Christ put on flesh, not just because he needed blood, it's because he needed blood that had no blemish. In the Old Testament, all the animal sacrifices, they were told that they they couldn't bring a, a blind animal, a lame animal, a defective animal to get rid of it. The sacrifice had to be an animal without blemish, and it was simply giving us the picture of who Christ would be. Born of a virgin means that he did not carry with him the sins of Adam. And living his life among us, you read it in the Gospels, understand, he did not sin. So that when his sacrifice was made, his blood was without blemish. He could pay the price for our sins and create the exchange that could bring us back to wholeness with God. As the Father has always intended it. And when he does this, I, I, I love what he does in this. There's two things. One in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He does it not just because of the mechanics of this. He does this so he can display the nature of God in this to us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God displays, and this word displays, you can almost say billboards. Billboards his love to us and that while we were sinners, Christ died. It's not just that we needed to be joined to God. We needed to see the nature of God in this. And his love for us that he would do this as Christ. But also, we get to see how Christ did this to create us finally one new man. Not two separated, but one in Christ. It's a, it's a perfect picture that was described in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Paul, writing to the believers in Corinth, tells them this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, remember this, it's all throughout 2 Ephesians chapter 2. Anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ 
reconciled us to himself. It takes us back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, which says, Jesus did this so that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Now, the two verses we didn't cover last week or this week in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, says this, For by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. It'd be very easy in our own nature to go back to the article I mentioned last Sunday. Last Sunday I mentioned the article that talked about all the stresses we have at Easter, at Christmas, all those stresses. And then it gave you the tips of how you can alleviate those stresses. Which basically says you are the one in charge of your hope. Or you are in charge of your peace. Yet in this passage in Ephesians, what I just quoted from verses 8 and 9, it says, The Lord has done this through Christ so that you cannot boast that you are a great manager of your peace. That you are a great holder of your hope. Did it this way so that we are always reminded our hope and peace has been done to us through, through Christ, done for us by the Father. It's all because of Him. Uh, and when we come to that place, it's huge. I, uh, I read a, a story years ago about a missionary in Africa who was lost in the bush. And every now and then he'd come to a clearing. Nobody was there. And it wasn't long he was back into the thick of the bush. He came to a clearing and found a hut. In the hut was a gentleman. He went to him speaking the same language as the gentleman. And said, I am lost. Can you get me out of here? The gentleman in, in their shared language said in one word, walk he picked up a machete and began to chop at the, at, the, at the bush. And as the brush was being cleared, and it's been an hour now, the, the missionary is worried. He finally asked him, do you actually know where you're going? Is, is, is there, in there a path here? <laughs> the guide stopped. And he said, well, you understand, there's no path here. I am the path. I have found that to be the best description of Christ. If you're trying to get through this jungle in this fallen world among the walking dead to find love and joy and hope and peace, you cannot blaze your own trail to it. Christ is the path. So when we do that, understand that, then we get to enjoy the benefits of the peace that's in Christ alone. And we will need to do that by going back to chapter 2. Now again, verse 11 is that hinge verse, therefore remember. And in verses 1 through 10, it describes a lot. And then in verse 11, gives us a call to action. You must remember. Now, what, what is beautiful when you start moving forward from verses... Uh, gosh, 11 through the end of the chapter, is following the pronouns. The pronouns really begin to, to un unfold the beauty of the benefits of our peace in Christ. Uh, in verses 11 and 12, it's all about you, you, you. It's like the hope we talked about last week for you. But when you get further in verse 14 and following, and sometimes it was above, you'll find the pronouns are us. And we and our. 
You just have to see it. So look at this. Verses 11 through 14. I want you to follow through. Focus the pronouns. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at times separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I love that. When you begin to talk about our peace. The pronouns that are used there go back to verse 11. You Gentiles by the circumcised were called uncircumcised. Jews and Gentiles. And there was a hostility between the two. In fact, as God inspired Paul to write this in Jerusalem where the temple was. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes that there was a wall within the temple compound, within uh, the temple mount there, where on that wall, written in Latin and in Greek, were these instructions to the Gentiles. If you are not Jewish, if you are not a Jew, do not go beyond this wall or you will die. There's a hostile separation between the two. But what we find in the beauty of this is how the Father then, through Christ, breaks down that separation. And particularly when you realize what Gentiles means. It means anybody who's not Jewish. And this letter you're looking at for the Ephesians, we see that it's a target date to be those in Ephesus. But this letter, like all of many of Paul's letters, was, was intended to be a circuit writing letter to the churches of Asia Minor. So basically, this message and the beauty of it is this. Any ethnicity under the umbrella of the Roman Empire within Asia Minor, do you understand what we share together with the gospel? That he has made it known to all of us. And regardless of any animosity that was created by history, any animosity that was carried over by family, any animosity that was there, it has been broken down by Christ because you together in Christ are whole in God because of nothing any of you ever did because of what Christ has done on all of your behalf, which is why when you see the benefits of this shared peace, it needs to be celebrated. Look at verses 17 through 19. And Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, far off the Gentiles, near the Jews. For through him we, both Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, as Jewish and Gentile believers are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household 
of God. I told you at the outset that we're going to see how the Trinity is both the one who possesses and the one who provides this peace. And you find it in verse 18. Look at it again. Through him, Christ, we both, Jewish and Gentile believers, have access in one spirit to the Father. It is the beauty of the Trinity that makes this happen and allows us to see what only he can do in bringing us <clears throat> peace. I, I had the joy of, of seeing this, not because of anything we did as a church, but what the Father allowed us to see as a church when I served for 18 years. I'm saying this up front. There was no strategy. There was no steps. This is how it's going to happen. This was purely the work of the gospel among us so that we could not boast or take credit. But I, I have a friend who serves with the International Mission Board and is a researcher for them. And he, he told me that Richmond speaks 125 different languages. And that became more real to us as a church when the elementary school behind the church I served reached out to us. They learned among their own children at the school that when the children went home, they spoke 27 different languages. And so knowing that we had several missionaries that were part of our gathered body who knew different languages that these children knew, they asked if we would simply help them with an international night that they were hosting at their school. The father opened that up. And there were other things the father opened up. Things that he did so that on, on some Sunday mornings I could look to the balcony and see a, a group from India. I could look to this section over here and I, I can still see some from uh, the Caribbean. I, uh, <laughs> a brother from Jamaica. I saw the family from Iran. Uh, I, I remember when the a brother from Uruguay came because we had a number from Mexico who came. They began to birth a church. Uh, the Jewish believers set up a, a congregation that met as a Jewish believing congregation on Sunday afternoons. And, and I could go on and I'm just telling you, it wasn't a strategy of the church. It was fruit simply of the gospel. It's what the gospel does. And it's what we celebrate when we gather together. Praise God for that. But also, when we see this, we have to remember that this beauty, this benefit, is that it, all of this is part of a long, beautiful work of God, the peace that we have. Uh, look at verse uh, 19 through 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Talking about the we, even though it says you, it's a plural. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Prophets, Old Testament, apostles, New Testament. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone of this foundation in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place 
by the Spirit of God. Oh, man. It is a long story that goes all the way back to the Old Testament, to the New Testament. The whole story of Scripture is the peace provided by Christ by enabling us to be joined with God again and whole with Him again. But also... I love this picture that it gives to us that once we have been joined with the Father, here's what we share together in this long story which the Father intended. We together are submitted to the Father. Our citizenship, our shared submission to the ways of God come together in this. Furthermore, beyond the submission, which is key, is a sense of relation. We each have been adopted by God. We are joined with Him. But also in doing so, we are joined with one another. This peace is with the Father. And this peace is also experienced in what we share together. Only the Father can do that. And going back to how long this story has been written by the Father. That you are now a part of. You'd have to go to the chapter in front of chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verses 3 through 6. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. What we share together as followers is a long history of God's grace. He chose us before the foundation of the world to be the benefactors of the love, joy, hope, and peace made possible alone by Jesus. It's what we share regardless of our background or experiences. And together we experience the wholeness through Jesus, the oneness with God, only the gospel gives. With an amazing gift like this, we sometimes still... We'll forget what it is and what we have. Which is why we have to go back to verse 11 and hold to the charge that's been given to us. Therefore, remember. Take your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. It's not far from Ephesians. Philippians chapter 2. This is where the sermon becomes more confessional. What I'm about to share with you is a routine that I have found in life that has been very helpful. When I find myself in one of those seasons when my Mr. Spock just won't work. In one of those seasons where the stress or the predicament or the confusion or the fear is too overwhelming. And I need to experience that peace which I know is mine. So this passage is very helpful. Uh, what's amusing about it is, again, God's inspired Paul to write this, but he's imprisoned while he's writing this to believers who are not. And yet he's telling them in Philippians chapter 4 
Verse 4 and following, rejoice. And <laughs> the Lord always, again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God. Which surpasses all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love this. Because I know those moments when... The day begins and I've already carried from a restless night into the morning and anxiousness about the day. So it's been helpful when I start the day beginning to be specific in prayer about those anxieties. And I love that the word prayer and supplication in the original language means to say specifically. So basically it's the father saying, tell me what you're feeling, tell me what you're thinking, tell me what you need. What's remarkable is the Father already knows it being all-knowing. But he also knows we need to say it out loud to him and to walk through this with him. So there is something healing about doing this. So it says prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Now there's something about being specific and following it through with being thankful. It's the thankfulness that I have in those prayer moments of knowing I have been heard. It's the Father by His Spirit that has guided me through that time of prayer to bring all the emotions and even to bring truths to mind from His Word as I pray. And so now I get to come to the end of that prayer and say, Lord, I thank You that You've heard me. And go over His attributes, His promises, but also to say this out loud to Him. And Father, I am grateful that You're going to glorify Yourself in the way that You answer this. And it may, be, may not be the way I want You to, but I know that the way you will answer this is a way that will glorify yourself to me or possibly through me to others. And I'm good with that. And it's remarkable when I have given the anxieties and gone through this thankfulness that I come out of the prayer time breathing again. Experiencing the wholeness, the peace that's already there. And it's wonderful for the next two hours. Until there's a text, there's an email, and I'm about to have the meeting that's really created the anxiety. And suddenly I feel just as consumed as I was when I first talked with the Father. That's when verse 7 comes to mind. Look what it says about our peace. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, the, the issue of peace within me that I struggle with is my heart and my mind. Uh, often in Scripture, the heart is the seat of our very being. Our mind, our emotions, physical, everything about that. But usually it is my mind sometimes that is used in my old uh, walking dead nature to bring up those old fears, those, those anxieties, or the things where I'm trying to take control. All of this works together resurfacing the anxiety that I had just given to the Father and has come right back. So when I'm surfaced with it all over again, knowing I prayed just a few hours ago, the prayer changes. I'll say, Father, I praise you that you heard me a while ago and that you are guarding my heart and mind. And, and candidly, I would go into details 
that I know about this passage. The word guard that is used there in the first century was a military term. It it meant when uh, an attacking army was going after a city, they would find the weakest spot on the wall and then attack it, exploit it, breach, and go in and claim the city. But now the city is theirs. They also realize that that weakness in the wall has been truly made more weak. So they then post a guard right there. Now, when I first read that and said posting a guard there, I began to laugh because I pictured this, this one soldier with one spear standing at this huge gap saying, I'm supposed to defend the city against all armies. That's not the picture that's here. The word guard that's used there was referring to the garrison that was posted at that spot. That was more than was needed to guard that. Knowing that, then two hours later, I'm going back to the Father and said, Lord, I know I gave this to you. I know I'm worried about it all over again. But I am trusting you that you've already posted your garrison. And I rest that you've got this. And it's remarkable how I recapture what's always been there, but I just forgot that peace. So friends, my encouragement today is therefore remember that the peace the Father gives to you is not one that says you will not have grieving or anxiety or trouble. It's a peace that in the midst of the anxiety, grieving, troubles, something that is inseparable is your wholeness with God, made possible by Christ. And through that, regardless of what you go through in life, the long story is before the foundation of the world and to Christ's return, you are secure in His peace. Bring the big picture to the small picture and rest in His peace. Let's bow together. Father, we gather in all of you. Father, you prepared everything recorded in Scripture before the foundation of the world. And then you enacted everything that we have in Scripture and then preserved its recording so we can hold Scripture. And all of this was done before the foundation of the world so that we could rest knowing our security in you. Father, uh, gathering with my brothers and sisters. I I know, Lord, I'm being just open that there have been seasons when I have beat myself up for not experiencing the peace that you've promised and just living in the anxiety trying to figure it out. I thank you, Lord, that you are long-suffering, patient, and kind. That you walked me through even those stubborn moments thinking I could fix it. And be the hero of my story, producing my own peace. I praise you, Father, for the reminder this morning and in those times that true peace has already been secured by Christ. And it's in my wholeness with you. 
And I say that out loud, Father, because I know my brothers and sisters are here. And some may beat themselves up. Some may be struggling with it. Some are now in awe of it. I just pray that you speak so personally as I asked at the beginning. Applying your word to the context for each here. And Father, I pray that you be glorified, lifted high. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Mark Becton, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.